The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, so uh, the podcast is going to start in a second. Richard Schindel, my guest, is one of the great singer-songwriters, and um, he has offered to play two songs, one at the beginning and one at the end of the podcast. So the first song will be one off his new album, and then at the end, he'll, he'll play an old favorite of mine. So this first one is called All Wide Open. So listen, and then we'll have our conversation. And then he'll give you the tree to play in a song at the end. She showed up on the doorstep out of nowhere All wrapped up in a good well overcoat She was shaking with her arms drawn tight around her She said, Daddy, I've been clean almost a month With his jeweler's eye, he looked at her a moment He stepped aside and nodded to the And stepped into the kitchen Still wrapped up in that goodwill overcoat He said, don't you want to hang that in the closet She said, not just yet, but still a little cold Then how about I put on a pot of coffee he said, standing at the stove now, with his heart wide open, and wanting to believe it could be true, but wary of another perfect lie, forming under pressure like a diamond, and emerging Flawless in her eyes. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. She asks him, Is it all right if I stay? And with the voice of one afraid to pass this future He says, why don't we just take it day by day And her overcoat is hanging in the closet Looks like winter's coming on now But it's all wide open
It's all wide open It's all wide open It's all wide open Yeah, and uh, or later in the, in the interview, I mentioned how, how this album is really sad, and you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's all wide open. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Richard Schindel, who, if you if you know who he is, you immediately, you've like, uh, knew this was coming out, and you got really excited and, and got it. But if you don't know who he is, you should know that he's one of our great songwriters, uh, one of our great writers, period. Um, and one of the things I want to ask you about is, uh, is why you decided to write these stories to music, um, instead of writing them as stories. Uh, because uh, I was listening to Fishing earlier today, one of my favorite songs of yours. And I thought, that's a movie. It's a, a short story. It's a novella, but it also has this great melody. And, and I, 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 I've, I've often wondered that. So, uh, at the end of this, I'll, I'll ask you to, play a song please and so people should hang around to hear a, a song at the end your your reward for listening to us prattle on will be a song and and the other thing about Richard Chantel I have to say is I, I believe you have written the two best songs about the life of a trucker that I've ever heard <laughs> I'm going to ask you to play one of them at the end oh okay if I can't if I have to right- still remember them oh no I remember them you're, t- you're talking about Kenworth of my dreams and that's yeah and what's the other uh, one best western oh yeah 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 sorry no sorry yeah that I can do that one I think I can do you can't do you don't think you no. can do Kenworth well n- n- only because of the instrument I happen to have brought with brought with me it's uh I I brought a 12 string with me oh very nice very strangely just because I, I I just got it in the mail and I'm in love with it and and I brought it and I thought well I'll just play the 12 string but I never anticipated doing that particular song on it so yeah, of course it probably not. could be done I bet you could. You're a very dexterous guitar player. <laughs> um, Thank you. So thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Uh, I know you, you split your time between America and Argentina, yeah, right? Yeah, North, yeah, North and the South. Yeah. And uh, you were just saying that that uh, you find yourself feeling like you're of two places. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, and it's funny when you're in one of one of those two places. When I'm here, I long for the place I left. In other words, I, I miss Argentina. Sure. I miss so many things about Argentina. When I, whenever I find, I was talking to my daughter about this last night. She's living in New York now. And I was talking to her about this, how, how whenever we, I, and it happens to her as well. Whenever we run into somebody who speaks Spanish, we just want to talk to them. It just happened to me. I just bought some coffee and, and, and the person that was, that checked me out at the register, she spoke Spanish and we started speaking Spanish. And it's just like, it's like going home. But the same thing happens to me when I'm down there. Where you feel like, you know, you meet somebody who speaks English as a native speaker and, and you just want to speak to them. You know, it's, and so it's a, it, it's a situation of never being quite satisfied with where you are, but it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Well, this makes sense to me because, uh, and, and I should say Richard has a new album that's just out called Careless. That is anything but careless. Uh, actually, <laughs> it is so carefully rendered. Uh, every song, uh, every song, very specific purpose, theme, idea, story, and, and melody. And um, really, uh, you really push yourself lyrically to make it almost impossible to come up with rhymes, I think. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's great. But hearing you talk, it, it's not surprising. And, and we met once. We don't know one another, other than that strange way people know each other online. But... I wrote down, I have sort of biographic, thematic, and process questions for you. And I was going to start with the biographic 
but but this idea of longing and the thing you were just talking about this idea of longing and of temporary deep connection that dissipates runs throughout all of your music it does yeah it's true and it all goes back to us it 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 sort of got encapsulated for me in a poem that i read when i was in college by robert haas called meditation at lagunitas or lagunitas however you want to pronounce it in california which begins desire they say because longing is full of endless distances right and I read that poem. I was, must have been 19 or 20. And the Perfect poetry age teacher, to read that. Yeah, the yeah. teacher put it in front of me, and, and, and I just, oh, man, that's it. And it, it's a beautiful poem. It's, a, it's also a pretty deep poem philosophically having to do with words and, and forms and perfection and imminence. But, yeah, that, does, that is a, th- a theme that runs throughout my, 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 my writing. Yeah, what is it about? I mean, I, I wrote down that, and we'll, we'll go back and do the biographical stuff because I think it's really interesting, and I want to understand your process because what you do, what you do in a way, I don't think anyone else does. Your, your songs don't sound like anyone else's songs, but like love, it, it seems to me in your world is just is a state of occasional uh, and fleeting grace, but it, it's mostly like a symbol of vulnerability. It's like a pressure point that can be exploited or a potential weapon that can be used against someone. Uh oh, <laughs> and I'm wondering why. <laughs> I've been outed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I listen closely. But yeah. so, no, there, there's this, yes, there are moments of fleeting grace, but the dominant thing, you know, death just hangs so heavy over your shit, man. You think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just, I think just fleetingness hangs over. I don't think it's necessarily the big, uh, the big D. Impermanence, though. And, impermanence. And, and that's, you know. And, and, and uh, but also... You don't just have one song about somebody's love for somebody else being a pressure point. You have many. I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, not, yeah. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, there's yeah, Che Guevara, Fishing. There are many songs where the idea that someone's vulnerable because of the people they care about and that someone else is. Well, that is the place where we are. Vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah. You either are or you aren't. And those that aren't are, I think, have protected themselves in a way. It's like, you know, um, it's like, I am a rock, I am an island. I mean, even Mary Magdalene, that song has elements of it. He's gone. Yeah. And she's left in her own own mind. It's uh, hopeless. Yeah. Yeah, but it's funny you should mention this because this precise thing is the thing that sometimes I get a little fastidious about in my writing because I was like, Oh no, not another, not another one of those. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, what do you mean? I know. I just, I just, I, I keep, I do happen to come back to the, to, to a theme in that general ballpark in one way or another. And sometimes it feels like I've done it and I would like to move on and, and, and do something else. But as artists, we don't get to, so it's worth exploring no, why. And, and as artists, re- we don't yeah, get to move It's true. On. And I think a lot of writers, they, they, they find one, uh, you know, one subject and then they just, they just go at it for, for their entire careers. And one, they just keep coming at that subject from different angles. And I think in my case, there is a sense um, that, that thing is, is the, is impermanence, fleetingness. Is that, a, is that a word? I'm not even sure. But the fleeting, there's a certain kind of melancholy. Um, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote down, as I was thinking about this, like, there are no clean getaways in Richard Schindel songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, like, everyone pays a price for their dream. 
And either they chase it and lose a bunch of stuff or they refuse it and something inside of them dies. And Except in the case of transit in which there is redemption at the end, but it's sort of, it's an abstract uh, redemption. Well, that was the first song of yours I ever heard. And uh, like I said, uh, it was on WFUV and I, uh, I was driving it's the perfect place Good. to hear one of your songs because so many of them are fucking about driving. Well, that's because I drive a lot. And is that why? Yeah, so I was going to say, but what is it? Like you've chased and risked plenty and come out on the other side, but what is it about the loss and danger of dreaming that's so animating for you? Because these characters do have a dream of another life very often, a dream of transporting themselves, not just in their vehicles, but into the ether. And clearly you had some form of that. And have done it. So- I think it's. A, I think it's just a profound spiritual disquiet, is is what there is. If you want to go right to the biographical, yeah, let's get right nut, to it. Yeah, is I think what it is is, and I think it ties into what I just said about um, being in the south and being in the north. I think there is just a found, a profound, like immutable spiritual disquiet that produces these songs, and is 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 also expressed in in that in that sense of never quite being at home even when i'm in these two places that are both beautiful it's yeah it's, right even in wisteria the idea of home yeah is are you and are you happy now in wisteria this idea of home and the difficulty of landing one well it's like the philip larkin poem um home is so sad yeah you know it's that's what is it left with the it's it's, it's and I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a child of divorce and, uh, I grew up in a very, very beautiful, lovely family that just at one point blew up and, you know, it's okay. On now. Long Island yeah. where I grew yeah. up too. You did? Yeah. Where? I, I grew up, uh, 10 minutes from where you grew up. Get out. Yeah. I grew up <laughs> first in Westbury and then in Roslyn. Roslyn? Yeah. I used to walk down to Roslyn. I used to ride my bike down the hill past the sand pits to Roslyn to go to the head shop there. <laughs> oh, in the town near yeah. the clock tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that was one of our, our Did you play at the... Did you, but no. you weren't playing then because no. you didn't play U.S. Blues. Or there's a club called My Father's, my father's place. place. No, I was too young. I used to roadie there. When I was a kid, they let me roadie there. Really? Yeah. I made uh, an agreement with the guy. That's so, a very good move. It was great. Yeah. So I got to see all these... Because they... Back, you know, the drinking age was 18. We were kids. You're a couple years older than I am. But, yeah. But so I left I, early. I left um, I left Port Washington when I was 16. So I never got to the point of being uh, being able to go to... I mean, I suppose I could have snuck in, but um, when, anyway. When did you... So when you were a kid on Long Island, a product of uh, divorce, but people... You said that you felt loved. Absolutely. When did you start thinking of, of yourself as someone who saw the world through a writer's eye? That's interesting. Um, I, I, it's when I started going through a divorce myself when I was in my late 20s. Not until then. Mm-hmm. I didn't write a song that I thought was presentable to polite society or any kind of society until I was 27. And that was Are You Happy Now? Right, which um, is a great song and on your you. first album, Sparrow's Point. Um, I, I had tried to write songs earlier, but I, they, I, they always seemed not good. And, and I, I, Would I you knew, share them with anybody? Yeah, I, I, I think I shared some of them with my brother, who, who coincided with me in the fact that they were... <laughs> that he agreed. <laughs> that they, yeah, he, they, he agreed he's, he's, <laughs> that they were not good. Yeah. And they weren't. They were, but but I, I kind of knew I could do it. I didn't know quite how to do it, but I had been listening to songs for so long and had been so fascinated by them and was fascinated by writing, by, by, by prose as well and poetry. I just knew I could do it, but it's just, it was just a question of, of the right 
constellations. You knew you could do it and were working towards it, or knew you could do it and didn't quite get to the place of working no, towards I, it? No, I, 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 I knew I could do it, and at, at one point thought that I, I, I was working towards it and tried a few sort of forays into writing a song, and then they were just so spectacularly bad that I would just, I would just pack everything up and just put it away and not try again for a year. And then I would, all right, let's try this again. And then, But it was lo- very alive in your brain? Sort this idea. So yeah, how did that sort of? But so but I'll tell you how it happened. Yeah, I was in New York. I had decided that I was not, you know, that you know, clearly at a certain age, if you haven't done something, if you haven't found what you're the thing you're looking for, you might want to look elsewhere. So I started looking elsewhere, and I thought I would be a uh, like a pastoral psychotherapist or something. So I went to seminary for a few years. Even though, like me, you're an atheist. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and you were then, right? I was, I was trying not to be because that's another element in my, in my work is the, is the desire to believe, but the inability to do so. Yeah. For um, sure. And uh, the desire which is to love kind of, and the inability to do right, so or connect is, and the inability kind of the same thing so. yeah. as we were talking about earlier, but on a ground. Well, that's the spiritual disquiet you were talking right, about right. is an atheist who wishes they weren't is in a constant state of pain. Okay, yes. Right. And nostalgia. Because you had something once that you, that you, that you, I mean, I know what it's like to believe. I know what it's like to go to church. I know what it's like to read those books, to be, to be, to be engrossed by those stories, to be, to identify with the, and then all of a sudden to wake up one day and think, you know what? I don't actually believe any of this stuff in the way you're, you really need to believe it if you're going to be a member of a, of a, of a faith. I mean, I still find it fascinating, but how did I get to that? Because you were at the, you decided to try to be a pastoral. Right. So I was at the seminary and I was working towards this and finding out what I had just described, what I just described to you, that this was not for me. And, um, because I could tell that I could see the difference between everybody else and me, everybody else, they were totally, they were, they were all in. I was not all in at all. Right. (laughs) And, and in the middle of this, I turned on WBAI and there was this guy playing a dulcimer and he was playing the most beautiful bewitching fragile simple poetic song and the song was blind man black swan and the guy was david massingill and something about whom i had heard earlier because one of his songs was recorded by the roaches and so i i I didn't know that this was the same guy but i later found out that and i had loved that song as well Um, i don't know this song uh uh, yeah well he wrote on the road to fairfax county um, which the roaches did on that record that robert fripp produced anyway so i heard this song i was in my little little king crimson uh, adjacent reference (laughs) (laughs) go ahead Um, we just tangentially touched just upon a, a completely other, just a, another yeah. universe. <laughs> yes, for a second. But so you uh, heard this song, and I want to ask: Is there a difference between a hammer dulcimer and a dulcimer? Are they different things? Oh, they're totally different things. Okay, so this, this is a dulcimer, this is a mountain dulcimer, which is a, a, it's like a, it's a stringed instrument, and it's, uh, it's not chromatic. It's, 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 it's whole steps and half steps, and so it's a very, it's, it, it, it lends itself to a certain kind of melody, and, and it can be. Very, very trend, uh, bewitching, uh, to use that word again. Anyway, the combination of that instrument and his lyrics and his presentation, I just, it's something just clicked in my head. And I just knew. You were different before and after that moment. I was different. I was completely different. I, I knew after hearing that, that there was another way to write that I had. And, huh. and I immediately started writing what became my first two songs. I would say within a week of hearing. On Sea of Florida Lee and Correct. Are You Happy Now? Those Correct. two? Yep. 
Right. Yeah, I remember hearing the legend that on on a uh, on a sea of Florida Lee was your first song. Yeah, that is that that actually is true. And I, it's almost impossible, but but it's not really your first. I'm I'm happy to hear that had, it's not I, actually your I first. I had tried. Song. I had tried earlier. It was the first one that where I really got into got into the writing and paid attention to the words and and was complete. I was all in. In the way you need to be if you're writing, you were not holding any of yourself back. No, anymore. I was. I was. Com- I, I didn't even have a self when I was writing that song. I was. I was up 18 hours a day writing that song. It was an. It was. It was a religious. That's experience. funny. That's an ecclesiastical experience. It was a religious experience. I was living at the seminary, and I was good friends with the um, uh, the guy that had the keys to all the all the buildings and everything. Um, and he was a guitar player too. And so we had, we had become friends and he, he said, you know, and, and one of the chapels, I mean, if you can co-opt a monk, that's really great. To give <laughs> you access he, he, to wasn't, he wasn't a monk. He wasn't You're a monk. not supposed to be in. I mean, that's, and well, that's he gave, me the, level he gave shit, me the key to the, to the chapel, right? To St. James chapel. He said, just go in anytime. Cause I love the acoustics. And I happened to uh, have, Oh, right. Like that guitar figure in that room. Yeah. Must've been amazing. It was amazing. And, um, so I was in there like all night writing this thing surrounded by all these images and then i was working in the library and so during the day i would go into the library and open up this is when we still you know people still opened up books and consulted them and i would look at like dim, uh, books about s- symbolism and 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 all sorts of reference i was in the reference room and it was about it was 18 hours a day for about two weeks of just immersing myself and i didn't want to sleep I, I it was it was the strangest experience and by the, when i came out the other side of it i was a different person who had you told, so I asked you when you knew you looked at the world kind of with a writer's eye and you said much later, like in your late 20s. So who had you told along the way that this was something that was a hope? Hmm. Anyone? My brother. Just your brother. So did your friends when you were growing up think you were just like them? Like, uh, in other words, were you an outsider? Did you oh, know totally. you were looking at things differently? No, 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 not at all. Well, I mean, like, there were a few experiences uh, roaming around Long Island late at night on Friday and Saturday nights where I was definitely on the outside looking in, shall we say. Yeah. But uh, and those I and, and I don't want to minimize those. Those are those are interesting perspectives to have on things. I was always a bit of an outsider. Yeah. But I but I was you know, it wasn't like I was I was uh, alone or anything. I had friends. I played I played electric guitar. I was right. like, I played, you know, I would like get together and jam with people. We'd play dead songs. I did covers. And then in college, I would, I learned that I, I could sing. Right. And so I would just start, I played in coffee houses, but I would, it was always covers. And, and uh, did singing, when you were in the act of singing, did you know you were reaching, sort of that it was your version of reaching some kind of higher plane for yourself? Did it feel like, because the thing you were describing about writing that song is when I started writing, because I was 30 when I wrote my first when Dave and I, my partner and I wrote our first screenplay, I hadn't been able to do it till I was 30. Interesting. And so the, I, what I knew was that those two hours a day, I was more alive than I was anywhere else. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering, and then, so you realize, oh, I, there are moments that I was able to kind of peek at that earlier, but I couldn't quite. You know, I've never thought of it, but now that you mentioned it, it's true because I felt when I was playing in those coffee houses, for example, on a Saturday night, I felt, you know, I was good at it. I, I, right. I felt like when I played a song, even though I hadn't written it, I inhabited that song and I completely owned it. Right. And, and, and when that was happening, I felt like myself. I felt like it didn't matter that somebody else had written the song. It's just immaterial, but I felt like I was at, I was being myself. 
And you were in your comfortable in your skin, yeah, like actually being the thing you ex- most were. Exactly, and and I still feel that way. I still feel that way when I'm on stage. I feel like when I'm on stage, in in some way, I am most myself. I am doing the thing that uh, I was put on this earth to do. Right. There's the least distance between like the thing that's at the center of yourself and the manifestation. Some, yeah, some, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. It's just, it's just a feeling I have. And, and it happens when I'm writing, too, although I find it harder and harder to write. Why? Uh, In what way? I think it's because of the weight of the past, of what, you've, what I've written before. It's like I have a hard time getting away. I think it's what well, we were you talking started about. by saying. This echo, you're saying the echo, thematic yeah, echoes bother yeah, yeah, you? Yeah, it's like, yeah, they do. Yeah. And I, ha- I, have to, I have to trick myself now into writing. I have to, I have to find different ways to put uh, songs together. Because the natural way for them to come out is what you were describing earlier. And I'm trying to trick myself around that. And some of the songs on this new record are examples of that. Yeah. Although it doesn't... It doesn't sound like it. No, it's still a Richard <laughs> Schindel album. Yeah. I, I, it does. It, it's... Well, I'll say it's a tricky album. It takes a few listens to understand everything you're doing on the new album, I think. Whereas some of the earlier albums... Like, I know all your albums well. And... Well, thank you so this much one, for this. No, um, and this one, to me, you know, I love the wordplay. I mean, reprehensible and all that stuff. It's like, <laughs> great. And your narrators are um, not always easy people to absorb on the new record. Your point of view changes in, in certain ways. And, and also, it's m- melodically trickier. Like, the third time, everything sort of makes sense. And I could feel that it was an artist trying to sort of rearrange the way he presents this. You can uh, you can feel that. But then uh, after you uh, listen a few times, then I do understand that it's the way you're using your voice. It is still it's still you, but it is a, a form of de- it is a departure in certain ways. Yeah, it is, and and it took me a long time to uh, allow myself to do it. Some of the, some of the songs are pretty straight. But some of them are, are really quite different. And the ones that are, that might be more difficult, that might be, uh, uh, have taken a few times to, to, to sink in or to, to accept for some of my fans anyway, are, are the ones that I wrote, probably wrote in different ways. I came at them completely differently. Instead of having lyrics that sort of, you know, appeared and then writing a nice melody to go with them the melody came first or a weird chord progression or a weird juxtaposition of chords that i that i forced myself to find a melodic um, bridge between for example and you just decided i just decided i wanted to do it because one of the things i wanted to do on this record was to be more musical and and because the musical aspect of this um of just uh you know playing the guitar of coming up with melodies making arrangements playing other instruments looking for textures all the all the this infinite detail of production and and recording and mixing and motifs and things like that was much more important to me on this record than than on previous ones. This is the record where I have um, I think most of myself, my musical self, not necessarily my lyrical self, but my musical self invested as a guitar player because I'm known as a songwriter. But what I really love <laughs> is being guitar is playing is is singing and playing a, a guitar. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say though, even to return to Honesty of Florida Lee for a second, because you you started doing this thing that you abandoned. You were going to do all your songs in that 
No, I haven't abandoned it. I haven't well, abandoned it. It feels I'm, abandoned. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, you said you were going to do like all 100 I, songs I and you've done, how many have you done? Hope Three? Spring, no, have done? No, I've done, no, I've done like 20. All right, fine, 20. 20. But uh, Hope Springs Eternal. I can, Where I'm, can people find this? On my YouTube channel. And, yeah, yeah. Because you, the first one you did was on a Sea of Florida Lee, yeah, right? Because it had to be. And, but when one watches you playing the guitar in, in that little room, um, it's clear how much care you put into that figure and into playing it clean, super cleanly yeah, yeah. and the way in which a yeah. serious guitarist yeah. thinks about it. Yeah. No, I guess the other thing about this album though, the current careless is, uh, there's, and I know there's humor right in the first song and everything, but it's a sad, there's humor in the lyrics yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the beginning yeah, yeah. of the album, but it's a very sad record. And you think I do, huh? Do you See, not I feel don't, that way? I don't feel that way. Why? That's because I feel like I feel like it's because because I'm thinking about the music in the record, and I'm thinking about how happy oh, I yeah. was when I well, played. Well, a all lot this of the stuff. music is has boisterousness, and there's some yeah. boisterous music, but the lyrics are in in spots. I think withering and yeah. Yeah, there are. There, it's true, um, but there are some that are. I mean, well, I don't want to go into some by but song. What I'm, but what I'm interested in is is as an art, you as an artist making the choice to make a record that you know is not exactly like um, the the person who's bought all your albums or streamed all your albums. They are probably looking for anticipating a certain kind of thing, right? And then throughout your career, you haven't been afraid to throw a curveball. At them. And so what in your mind is your relationship with your audience? You have a loyal audience. I have a very loyal audience. It's not a huge yeah. audience, but it's like a loyal yeah, yeah, audience. And it doesn't shows. seem like you've decided that you, it's important to you to do whatever you have to to get a bigger audience. Jason, my producer, and I were talking about this. because uh, Glenn Phillips, who used to be in Toad the Wet's Brock, yeah. is a really wonderful songwriter, was yeah. on this show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I love him. And we're old friends since we were kids. You know, in our, I was 20 or whatever when I met Glenn. And... He is now interested in just uh, the deepest relationship he can have with this like small group of people. Yeah, that seems to be where I am too. I mean, I would love for 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 more people to start listening, and it's not because I want to. It's not. I, I would never change anything. I would never do anything differently because I'm incapable of doing anything differently. I'm just you know irreducibly myself, and it's always going to be that way. And sometimes I wish I could, but I can't. So there it is. However. I know that there are more. What what is frustrating is knowing that there might be more people out there. Oh, for sure. Who who might find this something that they could resonate with, and not being able to get to those people is that is frustrating. So, but but it's true. I have a very very loyal following, and 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 they are a, a wonderful group of people, and they're they're intelligent, and they listen closely, and and they're very devoted. And then you know, I'm very I'm really lucky to have them. And so you know that they'll that your fans will yeah. do what I did, which is they'll go, okay, well if this is the record. I'm going to put the time in to under to try to understand what he's doing. Yeah, I'm really and why. It's curious. I'm, I'm I'm curious about how how about the fact that it took a few times to get because. I live, you know. That's not a bad thing, no, by no, the way. No, no, it's not. It's not. I'm a Dylan fanatic and an REM fanatic. Those are my yeah. favorite artists and Velvet Underground, right? The yeah. Pixies. None of none of whom yeah. are easy on first right. listen. Very sometimes they are, yeah. But very often their most rewarding work, yeah. REM's Fables: The Reconstruction, yeah, it's is good. impossible on first listen. But, but see, on that's, fourth that's listen, my per- you'll love it. That's not my perspective, though. I'm just it's 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 good for me to hear. You say that it's not the art. You mean it's not your perspective that this uh, that this album is. I a, know it so well. I know this record so inside and out. It's like everything just seems like how hard can you know? It's just this. Yeah, this is obvious. It's it's just it seems really 
accessible to me and and but well but, it's but not know, um, yeah um, by the way it's not atonal new composition no, no, classical no, no. composition <laughs> i mean I'm, that's not i no, don't no, have to have a, i mean i don't have to have a math degree to understand it <laughs> no, no, i'm just that. saying that early on you wrote chord progressions and melodies yeah, yeah, that were instantly yeah and but there are songs that are sing-along songs but but you did even if you were working in you know i could run a list of your songs that someone could hear once and feel like they're best friends Man. with it. Yeah. This isn't a record where you feel like you're best friends with the songs on first listen. Yeah. That's not a, a bad thing. No, 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 no. I, I know. <laughs> uh, but it is uh, a confident. It's, it's a sign to me of a certain sign, kind of uh, confidence you have in your relationship with your audience. Yeah, it's true. And, but mostly it was a matter of necessity for me artistically. It was crucial. It yeah, was, that it, makes total sense. It was, um, I knew I might be pushing things a little bit um, on some songs. There were some things that happened in the recording process that were serendipitous and um, and weird that we left. I mean, that, that the end of Atlas Choking is a piano deconstruction um, by Bob Telson of the entire chord progression, which nobody ever thought was going to go on the record. It's on the record, and I think it's it's one of my favorite things. And uh, you know, also I sang that song with 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 a horrible case of bronchitis, which I never would have done twenty years ago. I would have waited till I was all cured and so my voice was back to where it was supposed to be. Yeah. And in this case, I thought, no, this works. This is perfect because I don't want to sound like me on this one. I want to sound a little a little messed up. Um, the song is called Atlas Choking, so it kind of works. And sure, and and so playing a little bit with my own identity and authenticity as an artist was something that was important to me in this record in in the, in the, in the folk in the folk world and in my own mind in in for previous records the idea of recording a bunch of songs was to was to render them as 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 faithfully as possible both the voice the guitar and then some nice arrangement which renders the song as as pristinely and accurately presentational presentational and However, there's another way to look at things, which is that you can mess with it. you can mess with your own identity. You can mess with your voice. You can mess with your guitar. It's the difference between an acoustic guitar with a microphone and an electric guitar, with all sorts of, and those sounds are valid. And and messing with things and messing with the the identity of those things, and and putting one step between that identity or authenticity and the final result is something that was important to me on this record. Right, it's which is the kind of thing Paul Simon talks about. But, right, also, Paul Simon, I think, thinks about that stuff a lot. But I don't think you can say all that stuff about the record and then be surprised if I say it's a more challenging no, no, album. No, 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 no. Like, in other words, you... you I'm not surprised. You, you, know, just, you, you said you were surprised. That's what I'm saying. You can't I? say I'm surprised by that when you're basically saying, I did everything I could to make that the case. <laughs> and then you're essentially saying... All right, I've called out again. Yeah, You've called no, me out twice now. No, yeah, so <laughs> I think we have to just be... Well, I think you're surprised maybe that... I, as a stand-in for the audience, just got the thing you were going for, but you can't say you weren't. You weren't yeah. trying to make it. Look, it's a thing that happens often to artists as they're real artists if they keep trying to grow, is you do get to a place where you don't want to put forth the pre most presentational form right. of what you do because it seems easy and cheap. Yeah, It's not, though. I, I believe in coming out the – I believe one can come out the other side of that and can instead decide not to – because. I mean, I wonder if it is a form of hiding, right? If, if, if you're, if in the writing process, there's a form of censorship for yourself that's going on because you think the themes echo prior themes. I would just ask myself, like, is that a, like, what, what, if you're still uh, actively grappling with those themes, 
why not allow yourself to express them? Yeah. It's true. But I think I might be even queasy about those themes. And so I think I might have Meaning? always been just a little, I don't know, I, feel, I always felt like I was a little bit too sentimental as a songwriter. And, and uh, like, I listen to, when I listen to music, I listen to pop music. I don't listen to music which is as earnest and sincere as, as my own. That's really funny. Yeah. I, I, I listen to, you know, I listen to pop music. I, I listen to African, Like what? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I listen to, to, to music from Mali. I listen to, 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 to uh, King Sonny Ade. I listen to uh, Elizabeth Zeman, you know, the Elizabeth and the Catapult. And, and, and I listen to Amy Mann. I listen to well, Elvis pop. Costello. And those are not pop artists. They're but not? yes, I, I don't think so. I mean, those are... I listen to the Beatles. I yeah, listen I mean, to I love all those Bowie. people. Bowie. I listen to Prince. Uh, it, those are the, and, and in other words, I don't listen to people like me much. Um, well, I think you have a. Do you not think you and Amy Mann have something in common in in your uh, the rigor with which you think about the words? Because I see great commonality there. Oh, well, that's a compliment. I, I Be, because I, I think you don't cheat in the same way that Amy doesn't cheat in in terms of um, meter, rhyme, and purpose. Knowing that that stuff's aligned, I always hear that in. In your music, I, I don't hear the, I don't hear the cheating, and in the same way she doesn't. I know. <laughs> well, I know, that's a great. That's a great compliment. Yeah, I know and like her a great deal. Yeah, and, oh, she, uh, she's uh, she's always in my playlists. I think she's so the way she puts together, um, the way she makes a lyric sing and then puts it together with with compelling melodies and music and arrangements and production is is just so it's so powerful to me. I'm trying to find the song listing for this album. That's why I'm looking at my computer for one second. But I was happy that The Deer on the Parkway, you have finally written, like you finally solved for yourself the park, the, the, par the, the parkway song, right? There's the instrumental, then there's transit, then there's the taxi cab one. And on this album, now when I heard Deer on the Parkway, I was like, ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, so what do you mean solved? Well, like you, I think you've been trying to write. I because it's well. I mean, talk about returning to a, an idea. Yeah, and this idea because I wanted to ask you about it. What is it about this idea of uh, of driving nighttime? You know, I don't know. I think it, it could be just as simple as that. It's something I do a lot of. It's you know, as a, as a touring musician, I spend a lot of time driving and you know, lo looking through the windshield at that film that comes up through the through. Yeah, but you write about character. Okay, I, I can't. I don't want to let you get away with that because it's a recurring metaphor that you use. And what is driving? It's leaving and going to places. And there's a matter. And, and, and there's faith again. involved. Distance and faith. Yeah, it's, and longing and full of endless distances. You know. I mean, it's why I think I go back to Kenworth and my dreams over and over again because the story of that song. You know, as a writer, I've I've, I've thought about that song a lot because it's a, it's a story of, of a guy who gives up everything in the pursuit of something. And then he finds out that maybe it wasn't like... And then, and when the chorus hits, which is late night on some interstate, I hear those sad... Country songs. Country true songs. Love true, found, true love found. True, true love lost. True love found. No, no true love... Found. True love gone. Uh, gone. Lately, I just turn the, the damn, damn thing, thing off. Yeah. And lately, I just turn the damn thing off. It, the, the, as, a, as a poetic device, that idea... That the songs, 
like we're in a song, so it's a meta. It's a it's a meta song. Yeah, I'm, I'm right, exactly. You're aware that you're in a song. You're shutting down the the country songs are the dream that the guy chased, and he can't even listen to them because it reminds him of who he was and the choice he made and the crushing the crushing of the soul. And then, as the musician chasing. Kenworth oh, it's, of his it's totally a metaphor. It's totally dreams. I, and that was always explicit in my mind that that was a that that was an autobiographical song, even though I'd never driven a truck. It was it was I knew that I was beginning to go, I was beginning on a path that involved dreaming. It involved uh, wanting something, devoutly wanting something to happen, but knowing full well that you know on the other end of it, you know, careful what you wish for. There might be uh, there might you know. There might be some things that aren't exactly the way you think they're going to be now. So I was, it was a projection of myself into the future. Because you're, yeah, because that I moment. It turned out to be true. <laughs> well, we, well, yeah, the, the moment that your dreams, you know, the, the Springsteen line is a dream alive, it don't come true, or is it something worse? Which uh, to me is a, a twin of, 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 of the idea in, in your song and in many of your songs, which is um, what happens if this thing you chase turns out to have been the wrong thing to chase. And I, I do think that that well, shows that's the, up. That's the, that, that, that's the condition that we're in, isn't it? Cause we're all, you know, if, if, if you have something that you, that you, you see as, as worthy of being chased of, of a goal of some sort of, of project or, or decision in life, especially if you're someone who might've gone a couple different ways, you know, there's always the, the the sense of the life not lived, and and so you know, in a way, the human condition is is exactly that. It's like, yeah, you're living in relief. It's like of you, the, you are you're living in relief of the places you haven't gone. And I will say that it does, it is communicated in your work because Jason, who's only new to your work, right, only listen to your stuff. And one of the emails he sent me was about this, about the shadow choices you could have made. Yeah, and he. That's something that haunts me. Actually, is just this idea that we, that you know, when you when you make you know, it's a karmic thing you make one choice and then that that choice carries a whole line of of consequences that are unforeseeable and irrevocable it's the irrevoc yeah. it's the irrevocability of act of of any action we take and if you're a writer you know that and you are you write you you, you you're a writer and so you know that that when you make a decision about what one character says or what one setting is or Everything you do, you're bound by it. You're bound by it, and that is the reason why I I haven't really been able to to figure out how to write anything else but songs. Because when I sit down to write prose, I can write prose. I love to write. It's in clear fact, you can write. In prose. fact, I love to write prose. I'm I'm actually happy when I'm just writing prose. But then I always get to a point where I, I get to that exact moment. It's like I've got all this text, much more than you can have in a song. You know, and then I get this sense of, of overwhelming vertigo, like just, just like, oh my God, this could go here or it could go there or it could go there. And I, I don't know where it can go. And in a way. And why can't you write through it? Well, because I don't know, because I haven't been able to do it yet, but I'm trying. I am trying. The thing about songs though is because they, they, they are inherently limited in their scope. They are short two to six minute little vignettes. And that economy automatically, or in it, it just sort of dictates the how far wrong I can go. I can't go that far wrong. Whereas, and I you don't feel that there's that much. I mean, and also, 
the time investment yeah, to for develop, the artist is shorter. To develop a character, everything has to be done in very broad strokes and very quick shorthand. And, and, um, and but when it, I, that's why. So when I think about I brought up that song Fishing earlier, which is another one of these songs that's clearly, first of all, I was on Twitter earlier today and I wrote that like um, Stephen King having written The Stand and Dead Zone must be like looking at us all going, I told you, I have warned you in every way I could possibly warn you <laughs> of what is about to happen. How can you not, how did I not do enough? I mean, you have written plenty of songs about the undocumented, the immigrant, the INS officer, the, you have thought about all of this, but you've written it so richly and, but, and put it to melody. And I was thinking about that song fishing, which to me is about, is about this stuff. And I was like that. And even I said this at the beginning of the podcast, that could have been a, a story, but I mean, in a more direct way, you had to know you could write those characters are not broadly written. You just said, I have to make them broad strokes. Those are, those are people with, yeah. there's enough wind. There's sort of all the stuff Hemingway talks about, about a character. It's so clear, you know, those characters knew, yeah, in that I knew, song. I knew those people. Yeah. The interrogator, the person being interrogated and the family of the person being interrogated and the parents of the in, guy doing the interrogation, you know them. You, yeah, you I imagined them. breathe I, true life into them. Yeah. You could have written that as yeah. that's a hundred pages that you could have written. You know, the the it's funny when you uh, there's this thing people do when they write songs. There's this um there's a kind of it's not really a technique, it's that would that would be to sort of cheapen it, but there's a certain phenomenon that happens with a certain kind of song, which is to imagine a a backstory. For example, what you just described, the family and the you know, and the all the whole scene. To imagine the scene, but to only write down little pieces of it. And pieces of it that would be understood to the characters involved. In other words, never going out of character, never leaving the situation, just as you wouldn't as a writer. But distinctly from from the way somebody writing prose does, you never explain the background. The background is just there. And that is one of the things that makes songs, to me, so compelling, is when there is a backstory, when there is some sort of imagined world that the writer is working with, that is somehow put onto the page in a minimal form and evoked. And in by evoking it, instead of just saying it, the audience, the listener, comes into the song and fills in all that stuff. And they have the confidence that you, the artist, know it. That yeah. you're not yeah, bullshitting. You're not just, there's something real there. But, you know, this is the Hemingway idea. I mean, he talked about only giving the tip of the iceberg he talked about this a lot Did he? that yeah you know, all the time this idea that what you were that the, that his job was to learn everything imaginable and then leave everything out except <laughs> the tiniest detail right and that that would you if you did the work ahead of time as the artist as the writer then the audience would the reader would feel it, would feel right, it, exactly, and it, know it, and they would be able to take it and make it right. the, their own. The song has a kind of weight and 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 reality that is that's just self evident. So a that's, couple that's pro- the goal. A couple process questions. Um, when do you write? What's your practice <laughs> look like? My practice is is uh, I'm ashamed to say incredibly willy nilly and and whatever. Um, an idea an idea. I'm constantly writing down ideas or recording them into a voice recorder or typing it right. Melodic ideas or ly- uh, lyric Melodic ideas, ideas, lyric ideas. Um, I have literally hundreds, if not thousands of them in a database. 
my problem is disciplining myself to administrate those ideas and, and do something with them. Every once in a while, one idea will come up which is so compelling and so clear that the song just gets written. That's generally the way it happens. But, but I could write a lot more songs than I write. Do you write every day? No, of course not. No, I, I don't write every day at all. I'm, I come up with ideas every day. Um, but if you know you want to, how do you know when you're ready to go make an album? Do you then say, okay, I have to sit and collate and get, yep. make sense of these ideas? Yep. And I go through and I go through my computer and this is what I did with this record. There were a bunch of, some of these songs are, came from snippets. In previous, on previous records, every song was a, was a complete arranged beginning to end composition that didn't change once we started recording it. This record is different. This song, this, this record started off in some cases with songs that were just totally half-baked ideas. They were nothing. They were very close to being nothing. But we took them, and by taking them and naming them, because that's the first thing I do. When I have Title a- Title yeah, comes first? In some, no, not necessarily. Just giving it a name, taking it out of my voice recorder, where it's given a random number in sequence automatically, listening to it and saying, I'm going to call this falafel. I don't know. And then putting it in a place where it now has a name. That basically what I'm doing is I'm extracting it from nothing. And get, by giving it a name, I'm saying to myself, okay, this is something. It's not nothing. That, that was the case with several songs on this record that, that I, I forced myself to, to sort of will them into existence as opposed to, it's hard to describe the difference. Well, I don't know. but do you, I mean, so you write because it's like time to write finally. I do. But, yeah. but does it sometimes happen because you that, get that feeling like you have to empty yourself, like you're full and if you don't yeah. do it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, on this record, uh, Careless well, was obviously that. That's clear. Clear. Like, clearly the Careless. Clear. <laughs> no, I mean, that's very obvious. <laughs> that was the fastest. <laughs> that was the fastest song I've ever written. That song took 15 minutes to write. Right. Every word of it. Just, just, just. That's amazing too, because that song Boom. is lyrically very precise. I think my, I was in the living room writing that song and, uh, my wife came into the room and, and she said, that was amazing. I just heard you just do that. And, wow. And, 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 and it was, it was a, it was a really strange experience writing that song. Yeah. Those are the moments that you work so hard to have happen. Yeah. We talk about this a lot. Like, you know, th those moments when you can, like the thing you said that would happen uh, when you were, writing on a sea Florida lead that you were just gone. Writers work so hard to grind and you never know. And then for the moment that feels transcendent and for atheists, those transcendent moments are confusing. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know? they are there. And, and, and as are coincidences, like, like, yeah. like uncanny coincidences. They don't bother me anymore because Pendulette yeah. explained the math to me once the, yeah, well, I've got, coincidences, a, I've got a couple that will, that will, that will challenge your sense don't of really reality. bother me, but it is true that the, those moments when you disappear and the, and suddenly you've written this thing. And that's very much part of it is disappearing. I have to, my problem is I have to get myself out of the way. I'm my worst, my own worst enemy when it, when it comes to writing, I have to, I have to get myself an idea has to become so compelling. And, uh, that, that I just, I, I, I can't do anything, but give myself over to it. Can't, let, let's return to this idea though, of uh, no clean getaways in Richard Schindler songs, because <laughs> I mean, do you ultimately think that it's all worth it, the risks of loving and trying and believing? I mean, we're, because the songs very often end in disappointment, disillusionment, hope, 
put in the wrong place. And is that you writing? My wife is a great novelist, talks about and her novels are very dark. And often she talks about writing her fears so that if in the novel, it turns out a certain way, maybe she's able to exercise in herself the idea that it has to in in the world. Is that, is that my, if my songs are the way you just described them, and, and I, I have no doubt that they are, it's not because my view of the world is that way. It's quite the contrary. It's quite, it's, I'm, I'm, I love, I mean, this is going to sound really stupid, uh, but, but there's no other way to say it. I love the world. I, I, I love life. I love people. I love everything about being alive. Yeah. And I think that being human is a, is a, is a magical, mysterious, rare, astonishing, beautiful, heroic, futile, yes, but nonetheless beautiful thing. And I think uh, in my songs, I'm probably tending toward, uh, you know, pointing up or, or, or presenting the futility of it. But, but in a way, that's, we're all just throwing ourselves at the wall. We're all just running towards the wall. And, and yet we're doing it anyway. And we're doing it with a smile on our faces sometimes. Well, I and- wonder if part of it is the obligation that, because the, the thing that's twinned with that for me is that you, are relentless about including the dispossessed in your songs. You're relentless about including those who don't have their own foothold and their own stake. And I wonder if your own sense of loving this life, of opportunity, of having these gifts that you have, makes you also want to try to, actually just makes you empathize with those who can't and don't, and if there's some, I know you've said you're not a social justice warrior, and I get that, but something draws you to these people. It's just every once in a while, not always because I'm just as narcissistic and self-absorbed as everybody else, but every once in a while, I'll just be walking down the street, frequently in New York, and I'll just be walking in a sea of, of heads, you know, like this, this, and people coming at you in the street, and, I'm, and I just start feeling this profound empathy for all these people you know it's just there's and you know and whether they're dispossessed or not dispossessed or whether we're on the upper east side or we're, we're or we're somewhere else it doesn't matter it's like i think but it's, you write about the dispossessed a lot yeah. and i know you say you don't want to be like i get it you don't want to claim that kind of folk mantle i, I can't i, I know I, that you don't want to but you do write about those people they show up on all the albums yeah i guess they do but but i, I don't I, and you say you think of it as like um i've read where you said well it's it's i'm, I'm just telling a story or something yeah but i don't know man no i wouldn't i, I wouldn't tend towards that story unless there were there were some reason for it, some, some sort of resonance in me that, that, I mean, that I wonder if that. that's like the part of you that was going to minister to them. Well, yes, there is an aspect of that. I, I can't, I mean, I, 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 sometimes I think I do see um, people as a, as a priest might see them, you know, that, you know, a priest sees people, I assume, or a rabbi or, you know, as, 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 as mortals. And, and, and that's a, that's, that's a deep thing to, to, to feel for someone that you don't yeah. even know, you know, it's like, and it, it's it's and I think sometimes when I write, I'm 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 I might be feeling that for for a character, but I really can't claim that uh, to be a warrior for social justice at all. I'm 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 an artiste who's like you know in his own little world doing his own thing, and and uh, every once in a while I I go out of the bubble. All right. Well, here's to every once in a while going going out of the bubble. Um, <laughs> thanks for thanks for having this conversation, man. Thanks for making 
Thanks for making this great music and being uncompromising and uh, unrelenting and getting your vision on onto well, record. Thank you, Brian. This is uh, one of the more interesting and, and enjoyable interviews I've done. So thank well, you, thank you for listening, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, stay tuned. I'm going to convince Richard to play the Kenworth of my dreams on the wrong <laughs> instrument for it. <laughs> All right, it's just a question of the key. It's not a question of the guitar. All right, I can do it. I know you can. <laughs> All right, Kenworth of my dreams. One. I sold my old Camaro I sold my fishing boat A friend said he would co-sign On a small commercial loan So I shopped around Until I found a rig within my means I put $15,000 down On the Kenworth of my dreams My sister's husband held me out when we took the thing apart And every bolt and piston I knew them all by heart We cleaned her out and painted her and brought her up to speed I proudly put my name upon the Kenworth of my dreams But sometimes, lay down on some interstate I hear those sad country songs True love found, true love gone Lately I just turn the damn thing off A lot of folks just shook their heads Convinced that I'd lost mine They said living in a goddamn truck Is just a waste of time That to spend your life behind the wheel Ain't as great as it might seem I just thanked them all and left one night In the Kenworth of my dreams but sometimes Lay down on some interstate I hear those sad country songs True love found True love gone Lately I just turn the damn thing off Now business, it's been pretty good And I've no cause to complain I haul bourbon up to Buffalo and frozen food to Maine toxic waste or Quaker state it's all the same to me I'll go anywhere for anything in the Kenworth of my dreams I'll go anywhere for anything in the Kenworth of my dreams I'll go anywhere for anything In the Kenworth of my dreams Yeah, baby! That's awesome! Richard Chindell, thanks so much for being here. By the way, your publisher is an 
imbecile that he, that they haven't gotten that song covered by hugely legendary country artists. I mean, how is Kenny Chesney not singing that thing? Uh, you know, I mean, I would love Kenny Chesney to sing this song, or <laughs> right? I mean, we gotta get we gotta get uh, either uh, Kenny Kenny Chesney to sing it or Darius would kill that. Darius Rocker yeah, would you're kill right. that song. You're right. You're right. We're gonna have Darius on the podcast. We Darius has agreed to come on the podcast. Really? Well, and get, I'm gonna hand him. him don't give I, him the original. Give him that one. Give him the one I just did. Yeah. <laughs> I'll hand it to him. I'll be like, Darius, you gotta, hey, Richard, thanks for doing the podcast, man. It's great to have you. Thank you, you Brian. <laughs>